I've been invited to speak on the empowering of the Holy Spirit in this session. And so I want to just read to you a couple of passages from John 14, and then we'll get into it. Okay, John 14, the opening few verses. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Verse 16, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. He will be in you. I'll not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. Because I live, you'll live also. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for the joy of having an open Bible in the midst of a people hungry for your presence, for your word, the privilege of fellowship, the joy of companionship on the journey. Massive privileges, Father. We're so grateful. And Father, we thank you for your promise that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we ask right now, Father, please let the Holy Spirit be given to us, bring it, lead us into truth, take us by the hand, Holy Spirit, lead us into truth, bless us in your word, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The empowering of the Holy Spirit. Many have said that Acts 1.8 is the key to understanding the whole of the book of Acts. How can we understand how this little gang of guys who seem so inept were so effective? How was it that uh, these guys who were denying him all fled, all run away, all failed... How come that we're talking 3,000, 5,000, town after town, phenomenal breakthrough? How could it be? Well, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The whole purpose of God, the coming upon of the Spirit, this outpouring of God. Something in the Old Testament confined to uh, just a few individuals, uh, judges, prophets, kings. Uh, people transformed when the Spirit came upon them. Just isolated people like Gideon, obviously scared rabbit, hiding in a cave. We're told the Spirit came upon him. And uh, he became a mighty warrior, led a small army to a massive victory. The Spirit came upon David when Samuel poured the oil. From that day on, the Spirit came upon him. Heaven was open to him. He could write great psalms. He could lead a great army. The Spirit's on him. And uh, in the Old Testament, just isolated individuals, usually for special ministry, either to reign as king or to be prophets, have an open heaven that they could communicate, uh, priests, these special times. But then comes uh, Joel's prophecy, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. 
your sons, your daughters, old men, young men, there's going to come a lavish, ultimate purpose of God outpouring. What Isaiah says, the Spirit will be poured out from on high. That's where it's all leading. That's the great purpose of God. An empowering of the Spirit, an invasion of heaven on earth, on a people chosen and appointed and made holy through what John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. These two roles that Jesus is uh, introduced as having through John the Baptist, he's got to be the Lamb first. Behold the Lamb of God. He will plunge you into the Holy Spirit. I plunge you into water, he's going to plunge you into the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's going to usher in this age of the Spirit, what Paul calls in Corinthians the dispensation of the Spirit, this age of the Spirit. He's the one who's going to do it. Of course, he surprisingly, having been introduced that way, you go through the Gospels, Jesus says very little about the Spirit. He says, I've come to spread fire on the earth, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. How constrained I am until I fulfill it. Jesus has to be constrained to be the Lamb of God that takes away our sin. Then he can be the outpourer of the Holy Spirit. Then he fulfills that role. And of course, he says little about the Spirit until you come really to the uh, upper room discourses where John 14, 15, 16, Jesus is talking to his inner group and probably the main theme is the coming of the Spirit. The Spirit's coming. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't, don't interpret that as when you snuff it and die, that somehow there's a room in heaven and he's giving it a fresh lick of paint and pushing up the cushions, getting a room ready for you when you die. He's talking about a place When the Spirit comes, then you'll know. You'll know. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. I'm in you. I'm in you. I've prepared a place for you. I'm going to come and receive you to myself. You can be with me in the Spirit. You can be with my Father. Paul says this, we're raised with him, seated with him in heavenly places. The Bible says, my life is hid with Christ in God. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes that real to us. The church is to be a community that lives in the Spirit. Some of heaven has come to earth. We live in the Spirit. We're empowered by the Spirit. We're transformed from being religious people having a go to people enlarged into a whole new dimension, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, most of what I'm going to say is to the individual, but we'll come at the end to God's ultimate goal, which is spirit-filled communities, outposts of heaven on earth. That's what God wants his church to be. That's why for many of us, going back decades, we realized when the spirit began to get poured out on people, this wasn't my personal thing. We needed to see a new wineskin to make room for this presence of God among us. And we're still discovering what that means. We're still discovering what it means to be a people living in the Spirit. Heaven coming down. Us finding a new place to live. In my Father's house. Even the psalmist says, Oh, one thing I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord. I might behold the face of the Lord. The longings of the old psalmist. Hey, we come into it together. We've experienced it as we were so fabulously led in worship this morning. Just celebrating his roar and his tenderness. Before him in the Spirit together. That's the church of the living God. And so the empowering of God, the empowering of the Spirit. We see individuals, Gideon, we see Samson, we see guys left to themselves powerless. When the Spirit comes, transformed, transformed. They're the models in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament we find, yeah, Peter, James and John, waste of time. 
Don't start until you receive the Spirit. Wait, wait until the Spirit comes. And we see them in the upper room, still hiding. They've seen the resurrected Messiah. (laughs) They're still hiding away. Suddenly, the heavens are opened. The fire falls upon them. We don't even know how they got from the room to the street. The Spirit takes them, and they're there proclaiming Jesus. So how does this, how does this empowering have its outworking? Well, it magnifies our sense of sonship, all right? Our sense of assurance, our sense of belonging. We're lifted from where we were to a new place. The Spirit empowers our awareness of sonship, that we are enveloped by this sense, Abba, Father. We're brought to him. Because we're sons, he pours the spirit of his son into our hearts. We cry, Abba, Father. There's something intuitive, something profoundly within, something that happens. Douglas Moo, in his great commentary on Romans, says this, Our awareness of God as Father comes not from rational consideration. You know, like it says there, put your name in the verse. It says, we're sons of God, put your name. You can say, I'm... No, it's not from rational consideration, nor from external testimony alone, but from a truth deeply felt and intensely experienced. That's beautiful, eh? Deeply felt and intensely experienced. The Spirit flooding our souls. The Spirit poured out upon us empowered by this incredible it's not just power we want to come on we talk about power i've tried to look at this broadly i've been asked to speak about empowerment and we can often think well that's signs and wonders well i want to come there but it starts i think initially as it did in the upper room (gasps) i'm a son he's in me he has been with you he will be in you They've seen Jesus, the Messiah. They're walking around with him. They've, he's been with you. You've seen him at work. My, what did Jesus do there? We feel we're, we're with him. He will be in you, filled with the Spirit, filled with Father, Abba, Father, intimacy, and intensely felt, intensely felt. And that's why, beloved, sometimes we just have to move away from uh, a cerebral view of Christianity, just getting the verses lined up and the theology, we need to be plunged into an experience of the Spirit. Because that's our, that's our calling. That's what the church is meant to be. Plunged into him, being alive in him. So sonship comes on. The Spirit testifies with our spirit. We are the sons of God. Something deeply felt and intensely experienced. How does that work? Well, these lovely fruits. Love. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Again, to quote Douglas Moo, poured out an abundant, extravagant effusion. <laughs> Great language. An abundant, extravagant effusion. So when, as John Stott says, no, no, when you get born again, that's it, that you have the Spirit, that's it. No, no, it didn't seem like an abundant, extravagant effusion. For me, that came later, when I got flooded with the Spirit. That felt like an abundant, extravagant effusion. So the words have to be tied up to reality. He says, he doesn't say, Moose says this, he doesn't say given, but shed abroad in our hearts, showing the profusion of it. The love of God, your heart being stirred because you feel it on the inside. You feel this love. 
something that you experience, this love and this joy. It says about the early church, the disciples, Acts 13, 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's a characteristic of that early church. Day of Pentecost, we know, they all thought they're drunks. But why do you think people are drunk? Well, they tend to be noisy, happy people. We won't get into drunkenness at the moment, but don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody with all your heart to the Lord. This is, this is our portion. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a joy that wells up, that is exciting. This is the empowering, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is what empowered that early church. That's what, it was also not just because things were working out well. Remember when Paul says to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the outcome of other things. Joy is often the result of other things. You know, you might get a really good email this morning. You know, joy usually is mediated by circumstances, by news. Joy comes from something else. Joy is mediated to you. News, information, events, things that happen. The joy of the Holy Spirit is immediate. It's not mediated. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the joy of the Lord. It's God himself providing his joy on the inside, even, as Paul says to them, in tribulation. You, you were like us, he says to the Thessalonians. Like us at the beginning, we Jews who suffered so much when we owned Jesus. But you're like us, you have the joy of the Spirit. Paul, in an inner prison at midnight, singing, celebrating. There's a supernatural joy. I was asked to speak on Sunday, what was that, three days ago? At the church in Ipswich, they said, would you please preach on receiving the Spirit? So I preached on the baptism of the Spirit and prayed for people at the end. A lot of people got filled with the Spirit, which was a great joy. And I had a text from my son Tim, who's one of the leaders there, yesterday, day before yesterday, day before yesterday, he said, one of the guys who got filled with the Spirit on Sunday, he said, he sent me this email, you might like to hear it, Dad. I went forward to receive the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues for the very first time. I've been suffering from anxiety and depression for some time, out of work because of it. After receiving the Holy Spirit yesterday, I'm changed. Energy, I'm smiling, I'm positive. My wife pointed out to me that all afternoon I've been singing Christian songs. (laughs) A man depressed, no longer working. The Spirit's come on him. She said, you've been singing songs all afternoon. The invasion. It's not because, hey, I've now got a job or now. No, this, it's, it's image. It's from God. It's a, it's a strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what Nehemiah said. That's how we're imparted strength. He said, well, do you feel muscle power? Well, joy, love, the fruits of God being here. God dwelling in us, empowered by the Spirit. Even peace. I love that old Puritan statement. Joy is peace dancing and peace is joy resting. It's like a continual river flowing from our soul. It's not inconsistent. It's not stepping into some other world. Joy is peace dancing. Peace is joy resting. There's a river that flows from within by the Spirit. God doing an amazing thing. So Paul says, you know, often we think of this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Now that can be taken kind of out of context, stuck on a wall, you know, I could do all things, you know, Superman. In the context, he's talking about, I can handle weakness, I can handle poverty. You know, it's not the sort of, the kind of prosperity power. No, I can handle poverty. I can handle difficulty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have learned the secret of being content. That's power. You want to talk about the empowerment of the Spirit? That's power. There's a world out there who say, you found peace? Yeah, I found peace. You've learned contentment? You could open a shop. You want contentment? Paul says, I've learned the secret. He's found the Lord. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's empowered. He's empowered. Beloved, sometimes our concepts of power is kind of big headlines and Superman and rip the shirt open, there's the big S. For Paul, it's like, I'm in prison, but I'm content. I've learned. Actually, I've gone hungry sometimes. He's a real apostle. (laughs) Sometimes we've been through difficulty. I've learned the secret of being content. That's power. That's power. Coming through it. Coming through it. So lovely when Bo and Nancy were commended here at the end just now. You know, we've learned to go through stuff. That's power. It's not abandoned. People walk away. You don't have to walk away. You see, church planters, there'll be plenty of time to walk away. It's tough. Church planting's tough. Now, why is the church bursting out in the southern hemisphere? Africa, South America, the Far East. Why? The Holy Spirit is being poured out afresh. In phenomenal, the outpouring of the Spirit in this last century has led to church advance like nothing's ever been seen before. And it's the outpouring of the Spirit, the rediscovery of the phenomenal manifestation of the presence of the Spirit has changed people's experience of Christianity. And it's what was meant to be from the beginning. It's recovering what God wants. So it's not simply about, you know, big supermen. It's love, joy, peace. Handling contentment in setback, delay, frustration. But I've learned the secret, Paul says. I've got, a, I've got an indwelling Christ, an indwelling Savior. He has been with you, will be in you. And empowering from God. Further, insight. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, We receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that's from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the wisdom of this world. The Corinthians were fascinated by rhetoric and speech and style. And Paul says, we're not really into that. But we have another wisdom. He's not into Gnosticism. He's not into foolishness. He says, no, no, we have a wisdom that's come down from Christ, from God. It's all in Christ. And the Spirit, who searches the deep things of God, reveals them to us. And, and we just need all the time, all the time, learning more, learning more, learning more from the Holy Spirit who keeps wanting to open things up to us. For me, I know when I got baptized in the Spirit, I was at a Baptist uh, church, and uh, it, you know, this is going back a long time, and the charismatic movement hadn't started. It's 1962, that's our ancient time. And, um, and, and I went to the local Pentecostal church because they're supposed to have it. 
And my Baptist pastor was confused, a wonderful man of God, a great preacher, had 800 on a Sunday, and the nearest Pentecostal church had like 70 in it. He said, I don't understand, because he was humble, and he was aware something fresh was happening. How is it I've got 800 on there? It was a genuine question. He said, they've got the power. And when the Spirit began to be poured out, a number of Pentecostal people who'd been through the fires of persecution, because they believed in the gifts of the Spirit, they were ostracized. And they kind of said, well, why don't you join us then? You know, you've discovered we were right all along. But sadly, it had become legalistic. It wasn't, it wasn't opening up. It was kind of, we've got the gifts, but it didn't look like very exciting. And I thought, well, that's, so we had, that's, we had to be on a journey, beloved, to open up to everything God has for us, to see the grace of God. To see, you know, we're not under rules and regulations. No democracy will never run the church. We've, we had to rediscover all sorts of things because why? we have the mind of Christ. He keeps leading us into truth. Keeps opening things up to us. It's been a journey. All the time opening more, opening more. When the Spirit was first poured out, there were those who said, no, no, it's just for you. It's your personal prayer language. And, and, and you can go, if you like, to your charismatic conferences and have your own personal prayer, prayer language, but don't mess with the church. And some of us felt, no, we've got to mess with the church. We must have a new wineskin. We must have a new wineskin. Because this isn't just personal for me. This is for the glory of God. There's got to be some space for the manifestation of God's presence in his church. Our worship's got to be transformed, which it has been. God's leading us on, but there's always more, always more. I'm just, of all things, I'm just reading a wonderful book on Leviticus. I never thought I could be blessed by a book on Leviticus. <laughs> I just, I nearly finished, I brought it with me. It's wonderful, wonderful, because the view, although it's focused on Leviticus, it's talking about the presence of God. I, won't, I mustn't get drawn back into it. But it, it's talking about no, God's desire to be among his people, at that time restricted to that temple with all its rules and regulations, but the whole idea was that God's present here. God's present here. There's the 12 uh, loaves representing the people of God, like the 144,000 in, in Revelation, the ultimate people of God, the 12 loaves, and the lamps shining on, the blessings, on, God's blessing on his people, God's presence with his people, all coming through to Jesus. I mustn't get back into it, but it's really excited me. And I, I just find God keep on giving more and more. We get insight. We're on a, still on a journey. We're still discovering. Because the Spirit wants to lead us into more and more truth. More and more understanding. And we don't want to feel, oh yeah, been there, done that. We know you should join us. Moses didn't say, come to us. He said, come with us. Come with us. We're going to. We're on a journey. It's called the way. The followers of the way. And if we think, oh, we've got it. Come to us. Ah, Paul says at the end in Philippians, he said, not as though I've already attained. I'm pressing on, pressing on. And so, yeah, there's the spirit of revelation, a spirit of ever-increasing knowledge. He has come to lead us into truth. Okay, so the coming of the spirit, the empowering of the spirit, first of all, inwardly with fruits, love, joy, peace, more and more revelation. Then, yes, other ways of seeing power. The coming of the spirit upon us, for prayer. Arthur Wallace, whose name will be known to some of you, said this, any claim to a baptism in the Spirit which leaves our prayer lives unaffected 
must be at best a superficial work. The Holy Spirit affects the way we pray. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. There's also praying with the Spirit, which clearly from Corinthians is contrasted with praying with the understanding or praying with the Spirit. And in the context, that's obviously praying with tongues, praying with the Spirit, or we pray with the understanding. That's praying with the Spirit. But but he says praying at all times in the Spirit, which I take to be a kind of umbrella over the whole thing, that when we are sometimes praying in our mother tongue, we feel this energy. We feel it. We feel a stirring. Now, I'll come back to that later because you've asked me to speak in the next session about prayer. So I'll come back to that in the next session. But there is praying that God gets hold of. God, you just feel you feel the sail is being filled. You feel something happening. You feel, you feel an energy kick in. And uh, we'll come back to that in the next session in prayer. Okay, Praying, energy to pray more effectively. Then uh, another way we see power is the boldness, the boldness that came to them. And I know for myself that was what made me desperate to know and empowering. As I, I'd come back to God from a lot of backsliding. I wanted to live for him. And the thing I just found was I had no boldness to witness. I couldn't, I couldn't witness. I could lead little Bible study groups in the church building, but get me outside of that, I was utterly powerless and often just ducking opportunities to name Jesus. That was what made me desperate. And uh, I saw Peter before. No, I'm not with him. I don't know him. And Peter after. This Jesus whom you crucified. (laughs) Transformed. And uh, had the joy of being filled with the Spirit, then laying hands on the young people in our Baptist church. And then we all went out on the streets and began to worship and preach in the open air, which I would have thought was totally impossible totally impossible boldness it's one of the new testament uh, phenomena they were bold when they just when they saw them they noted their boldness they thought hey they, they've been with jesus i remember hearing sweet prayers prayed by godly people in prayer meetings lord let them take note we've been with you it was like we're really lovely people <laughs> let them notice our sweetness we've been with you but the context is when they saw their boldness they noticed they'd been with jesus and boldness is one of the characteristics of the empowering of the spirit a boldness and that is what's characterizing uh, the church across the nations now it's there's a boldness there's a fresh liberty to name jesus and make him famous boldness and then also power to live the life all right Romans 8, verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Power to live the holy life. Energy to do it. Enabling to do it by the power of the Spirit. With that wonderful promise in Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's a great promise. It's a great promise. In some Bibles, you get a little subsection, paragraph sections. You know, the sometimes uninspired people give you paragraphs, things. They write them into your Bible. And one Bible I had, it said, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, this section. And Paul says, you, if you're filled with the spirit, you will not, you will not 
Ben Witherington III, isn't he lovely to quote? Ben Witherington III says it's a double negative in that text, double negative in Greek, and you could translate it, you will certainly not. You will certainly not. Walk in the Spirit, you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Certainly not. What a promise to teach the young Christian. Walk in the Spirit, you will certainly not fulfill. It's a double negative. You will not know how. You can't do it in English, can you? You will not know how. (laughs) Fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're full of the Spirit, enjoying the Spirit, experiencing the Spirit. I love what John Flavel says, or Flavel, I don't know how to pronounce that old Puritan. He's wonderful, though. He says, ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul, and they promote sanctification. That is a great Puritan insight. See, the Puritans have got this bad press, haven't they? They're miserable guys. You read their stuff. Ecstasy, that's a good word, and delight are essential to the believer's soul. They promote sanctification. The Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not as he ought to from the Spirit of God. He will go in silent search for other lovers. He says that much longer quotes, wonderful quote, wonderful quote. It's terrific insight. He says, your joy comes from external things. But the Holy Spirit can give you joy. If we're living in the Spirit, if, if morning by morning you're singing in the Spirit, enjoying the presence of God, letting him break into your soul, that's what he's saying. If we're not experiencing him, well, we'll go in silent search of other lovers. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. The thing that really make people tick. The things that really excite them. God wants it to be he who really excites us. says in Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the river of delight. And they're digging out holes in the ground that can contain no water. I can meet your need. And so, yeah, and it, it promotes sanctification. You see, so often our conservative brothers will say, oh, these happy clappies. They're flaky, they're on the edge, they're emotional. The Puritans say, if you don't know ecstasy, if you don't know delight, you're in danger morally. You may be very proper in church, but the thing that really turns you on is some soap on television or sport or whatever. Not that we're anti, lots of fun things. But where does our joy come from? What's the thing that really... Gets us moving. It's, that's the, the empowering. That's what I was to speak about. Empowering. Power to live holy comes from enjoying God. Enjoying God. Not just knowing about him. Not just having the verses lined up. But enjoying him. The empowering of the spirit. Then power for ministry. Okay, rushing on. Power for ministry. This gospel, our gospel, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, didn't come to you in word only but in the power in power and in the holy spirit power for ministry 
you're familiar with all these verses. 1 Corinthians 2. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. He didn't get into the rhetoric. He didn't get into being a, a very polished speaker in the ways which was associated were associated with those days where, where a rhetoric and a style of speaking counted a lot in some people's thinking. No, he said, I didn't depend on that. I, I depend on the power of God. The power of God. Oh, it's, it's just there's so much more for us to learn, I'm sure. I wonder if you've just noticed what it says at the beginning, it was, it was Barnabas and Saul when they headed off from Antioch, Barnabas and Saul. And then they arrive at Cyprus. And there's this guy withstanding. And Paul says, you will be blind. He said, what? You will be blind. And the guy's blind. After that, it's Paul and Barnabas. <laughs> How does the switch come? It was from Saul, Barnabas and Saul to Saul and Barnabas. Well, it actually, it actually comes after he blinded that guy. I think he might be, oops, you're okay. You take the lead. <laughs> Maybe. My little guess. There's an empowering. But wow. He just says you'll be blind. Be blind. Beloved, there's a power which we've yet to break into. I'm not saying we want to go around blinding people. But I, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of the early Pentecostals when I read what they saw. Amazing things. And sadly, as some of the years back in the 40s, you read about some of these people. What the things they saw there. Sadly, a lot of these guys finished up with money problems, drink problems, sex problems. A lot of these men, incredible big ministries. No church, just a very isolated ministry out there. You read those stories, but the power, the breathtaking power. And I'd say, Lord Jesus, please help us to build church, build relationship, build safety. I don't want to be cozy. I want some more power. The power of God breaking through. I think we need to keep praying about it. Paul, or Peter says, the gospel that was preached to you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. And again, at the end of Romans, we preached in the power of signs and wonders in the power of the Holy Spirit. The power. That's why I've loved being with Ram Babu. Some of you know him. Just seeing the power. Incredible power that comes when he preaches. Let's not, let's not just say, well, it's mysterious. Let's keep pressing in. Let's keep asking. Let's keep knocking. Let's keep saying, Lord, I want to see more. Because that's part of the package. and We've yet to see it. The so-called charismatic movement has never seen the sort of power that the Pentecostal movement saw at the beginning. Then to move on and uh, corporateness, which I guess, I guess was hinting at there, I don't think there was any doctrine of the church in that Pentecostal movement. It was power, yes, but no concept of church. Whereas I think for us, one of the passions in our heart is to see a church, a people, a community. Uh, not isolated high flyers, but a people. And so, yeah, the Holy Spirit brings us into a body. The Spirit does it. By one Spirit, we're, we come together. When, Paul, when Peter went to Cornelius, full of, full of misgivings. You know, I don't eat that kind of food. No, I won't touch that kind of food. What I call clean, don't you call unclean. Go. Goes to Cornelius, Roman. He's a Gentile pig. 
He's crushed our nation. He's an enemy. And Peter goes into his house with all his Jewish reservations, like stepping into Gentile home, <laughs> and begins to talk about Jesus. And the Spirit falls upon them. And they're speaking in tongues like we did. A Gentile pig, he's speaking in tongues. I mean, we just, sometimes we just got to get our minds back at that. He's hurt. What? You? And, the, and then he goes back. Next chapter. Interesting. Acts 10 and then Acts 11. Uh, Luke, in writing Acts, thinks this is such an incredibly important thing. He does it twice over. Acts 10, Acts 11. 10, the event. 11, rewriting it. As Peter recounts what happens. While I was yet speaking, the Spirit fell on them. Who are we that we should withstand God? The unity of the Spirit. He's my brother. That Gentile centurion is my brother. It's the Holy Spirit that gives unity. That's what happened. In the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, we make a huge thing of doctrine, quite rightly, quite rightly, but so much agreement. I've just had the privilege of speaking at a conference in Poland, 750 evangelical leaders from all over Europe, 40 nations represented. It was very sort of theological emphasis. Some dear, dear brothers. But unity is about, what do you you think about that? And do you think Heidelberg's right? Or do you believe, what do you feel about this creed? And that, you know, yeah, okay. In the book of Acts, the spirit fell on Gentile pigs. And they're our brothers. (laughs) Then in the Bible, there's a dynamic that made people brothers. That's not to belittle theology. I hope we know one another better than that. But there's there's a phenomenon that God did it. There's a unity that comes in the Spirit, the same Spirit. And so we need to understand it's the Holy Spirit's presence. And, of course, the church then. The empowerment of the Spirit is not just for the individual. We tend to be a very individualistic generation. And what I've been saying up to now is mostly about us as individuals. But in the New Testament, the outpouring of the Spirit is very often on groups, companies, crowds. And the outworking of the Spirit is in the community. It's we together. A people, it's like a city set on a hill. It's a people that are living in the Spirit together. Don't grieve the Spirit. Walk bearing with one another. Maintain the unity of the Spirit at all costs. Don't quench the Spirit, because that's what makes us distinct. As Moses knew in those early, early days, if your Spirit doesn't go with us, we don't go anywhere. It's having the Spirit with us. And so trying to do church without the Spirit is a pain. It's, it's tough. It's not much fun. When the Spirit's with us, when we're, we're jealous to know His presence, we're jealous with our attitudes, don't grieve the Spirit. I'm just meditating in 1 Corinthians myself, just in my own devotional life. And Paul says, you know, you destroy this temple, it'll destroy you. <laughs> It's like God's temple, that the presence of God is it's just huge. And people have been indifferent. They've been broken fellowship with people. I know I was first, my first time I ever went to a business meeting, so-called, the Baptist church. I, I was saved into, I got baptized. You could now be a member. Oh, good, what's that mean? Oh, you can come to the business meeting. What does that mean? I had no clue. So I guess the first business meeting I've ever been to. It was horrific. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I was a young, fairly backslidden Christian. But I'd never, I mean, the anger 
I feel, I quote, who will back me? I saw, who speak through the chair, please. What's going on here? <laughs> it, was, it was horrendous. And as a backslidden Christian, I thought, this isn't Christianity. So when we began to form new churches, we knew that's not, that's not in the Bible. You have to build church differently. And so when we started new churches, and people said, somebody I went, I was invited to speak at conferences because we were in a lot of trouble when things started. And some said to me, at a big meeting, pastors there from all over the country, why do you start new churches? Why don't you put some of your people into failing churches? I was so glad they asked it that way. Because so my answer could be, why are they failing? Why would I want to put good people into something that's failing? We've got to think much more foundationally. What's the roots of this thing? What's the roots? How can God move? If I don't, we've never done it like this. I don't like this. We've got to build a different kind of church. A different kind of church. Now that's what we've been hearing in the meeting this morning. That gentleness and strength that comes together. It's what God wants. Clarity. With tenderness, yes, but clarity, clarity, anointed leadership. That's what God wants. I love that old hymn. I often find myself singing it in the mornings. Oh, the joy to see you reigning, you, my own beloved Lord. That old hymn, you may not remember it. Some of you young charismatics, you've been robbed of a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful hymn books. Oh, the joy to see it. One day, all this... All, what's, England's going through at the moment, and America. Horrible shouting matches at one another. Who's going to be in charge? One day, beloved, oh, the joy to see you reigning. You, my own beloved Lord. The king. No, one's, no, one's, no coup d'etat being arranged. No democracy. Jesus is Lord. That's what he wants. And the church should reflect that. In the safety of eldership, partnership, Mutual confrontation and care within an eldership band that lead the people forward. That's what we're after. And it's the gifts of the Spirit will bring us through. So Ephesians 4, we don't have time to get into it. But not tossed about by children, like children, but coming to a mature man. How? Because the ascended Christ gives. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. These gifts of the Holy Spirit to equip the saints to bring the whole church to maturity, a mature man with many, many gifts functioning. An equipped community, people equipped in the spirit. People finding, hey, I've got grace to do this. People been encouraged in their gift. As we've had here this morning, who's got words from God? It's God speaking to us. People who understand it's not just the man at the front who knows God. Each one shall know me from the least to the greatest. Each one can know God. We want to press through to God together. We're all in that age of the Spirit. The Spirit's poured out that we become an empowered church, not just empowered individuals. So that out from this people flows life. I love it what it says in Psalm 107. It says they were in wilderness conditions, and then they stumbled on a river, and then they built a city, and they planted seed and had a harvest. You build the city round the river. That's how it is. Many great cities around the world. London, Paris, many great cities. They're built round a river. So 
So it is the city of God, the people of God, need to be built around the river of his presence. There's a stream that makes glad the city of God. An empowered people, a community, a community that's beginning now, and certainly in the UK I'm finding this, out from these spirit-filled churches, care is going to the community. It's a, I've had the pleasure of meeting with some of our young pastors each year. If you talk about national government, from the UK point of view, from London, Westminster, the church is kind of irrelevant. You go to town after town after town after town. I hear this from pastors. The local council know we're doing the work among the poor. We're doing the work. They know it. They know it. They may not know it at Westminster overtly, but in town after town after town after town, the church I'm going to join soon, they open their big building, the church that started in Nigel Ring's home years ago, and going back to join soon. And uh, they meet now in a great big warehouse, there's several hundred of them there now. And Christopher Soames, who's Winston Churchill's grandson, and an MP, a very well-known MP in the UK, he opened the building for them. You know, they know how to get buildings open. And they invited Christopher Soames along. And he said publicly some beautiful things about this church. And he said, I had a woman come to see me recently at my surgery, which calls, he calls uh, his time for meeting with your member of parliament. And he, I answered her problem. Then he said, I said to her, is there anything more I can do for you? And she said, no, 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 you don't need to. She said, King's Church looks after me. And this man, this member of parliament said this to the hundreds who gathered this church looks after me. That's what we're going to hear. City set on a hill. A people full of the Spirit. A people. A people. Not you know, one guy full of the Spirit. Oh, she's full of the Spirit, that one over there. No, a people. A community filled with the Holy Spirit. Benefiting from apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. These gifts of the Spirit. Equipping the saints. Empowering a people. Overflowing the banks. They built the city, they planted, they got a harvest. Build the city first, plant the seed, get the harvest. A spirit-filled community. Amen.